want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We're going to read three verses of Scripture to open and allow me to share what the Lord I truly believe is laid on my heart for us as a fellowship today. I've been very, very challenged by what I believe the Spirit of the Lord quickened inside my heart. Um, it, it caused me to look internally first and then certainly to our own fellowship. We're going to um, stand and honor the reading of Scripture, if we will. There's three verses that we're going to read here today to commence. Obviously, I appreciate very much the message that Dr. Brasco brought to us last week. If you were not here, I encourage you to go back and watch it on um, Facebook Live. I guess it won't be live, but it will be on Facebook. And uh, I, was, I was, uh, had the opportunity to listen to it again this week and was just really stirred. And probably that message helped kind of lead me in the direction I'm going today. Here it says in the 26th verse, For ye see your calling, brethren. Now again, I'm reading King James Version. I know that bothers some of you, just the reading of it, but just I like the poetic nature of it. Here it says, How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things, or, and base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yet in things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Now, I probably could have added that 29th verse in here, and I think I will, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But the, it, my attention was drawn to this context that I'll elaborate on in a moment, and I've, but I want to direct your attention here to these words that are just found in two of these verses here it says, and it may not necessarily be exactly in a couple of the verses, but it says, God hath chosen. And I, I just want you to get that in your spirit, that God hath chosen. How many of you know that God is sovereign? And, and we have to learn to, to, to kind of identify with this sovereignty. Because if we don't, we're always trying to dictate things according to our desires or our will. But when you learn to say, you know what, this is the way that this is and how that I commune or relate to God is because God chose this, right? So let's pray. We're going to stretch this. You said, Pastor, it's a Holy Spirit emphasis. How are we going to do that? We'll get to there in just a little bit. So let's pray. Father, I love you, and I truly am honored to be here today. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that there's a great transparency that's present in this house, God, amongst our church family, from my heart to theirs. I pray that the same spirit that quickened the word of God in my heart and mind as I read and prepared, I pray today, Father, that that same spirit would be present among us, God. To the, let the text come alive. Let not just this text, but the other text that I'm going to be ministering from, help, it to under, help us to understand that you've chosen this, God. It may be foolishness to some, but God, you chose it. And I pray, Lord, that we'll have greater understanding of this here in just a few minutes. In Jesus' name, all of God's children said amen and amen. Thank you. I turned down an opportunity of an invitation that was given to me by missionary Bob Holyfield, who asked me a few months ago to serve on a board of just two to three men for a prison um, or it's not a prison home, but you know that, the, that they minister to those that are incarcerated, but sometimes when they get out, they need a place. And Brother Holyfield is establishing that. Our church will have an opportunity once the thing gets fully purchased and complete to come alongside and to help them. He invited me to come down Friday and to tour the house 
alongside of one of the other gentlemen that's going to serve on the board with me. But the problem was is that the invitation came pretty late in the week. I was out of town for those two days. Then another time I had to go out of town on Thursday to take to the food pantry. And Friday is the time that I prepare my sermon. And I, in my heart of hearts, obviously I wanted to go and be with Brother Bob and to see that. But in my heart of hearts, I said, God, I have to have this time. I have to. I just, I'm going to stand on this pulpit in front of this church family. And my, I told Sister Sherry, and I got ready to leave, a lot of times I'll prepare my sermon at home because often it's quieter there than often it is here at the church. I said, but Sister Sherry, I said, it's not about me preparing a sermon today. It's about me preparing my heart. I've got to have a heart that is pliable, that God can speak to, that God can reprove if necessary, and then God can correct, and then God can instruct, and, and then that, that, that I can have a word for our church family. And I really believe that the Lord directed in the context of where Dr. Brasfield was, and then just real quickly, I, wanna, I, I, I began to think about something that I'm going to elaborate on here in a few moments. But I want to pick up the theme that Paul here mentions here in the 27th verse, he speaks about that God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And, and so with this, the context, I won't take you there, but you can go back and read this earlier, commences is Paul, with Paul's pen concerning the cross. That's actually the context here is the cross. He said that the cross, the preaching of the cross, he said, is to the Jew, it's a stumbling block. He said, and then to the Greeks, it's foolishness. And it's twofold. It's both the method of preaching and the message of preaching. And so number one, just real quickly, the method. The very fact that a person can be saved, delivered from our allegiance to the Adamic nature and given and be made the righteousness of God based upon what you hear, not what you do. That's foolishness to some. It's a stumbling block. He said, to the Jew... As, we, as, this, as Paul is here putting them in the context of preaching Christ, to the Jew, it was a stumbling block. It wasn't foolishness. To the Greek, it was foolishness. Allow me to explain this for a moment. The Jew, embedded in his doctrine for thousands of years, had been the coming of the Messiah. So the preaching that Christ was a suffering Messiah, it wasn't foolishness to him. He had anticipated a Messiah for thousands of years, but a suffering Messiah he stumbled over. But the Greek, Paul said, the Greek, it's just the whole thing's foolishness to him. He can't understand these things. But Paul went on to say, but to those who are saved, it's the power of God. It's the power of God for a man of God or a woman of God to stand in front of you and tell you about the redemptive work of Jesus Christ accomplished on the tree. That we were all sinners destined to a devil's hell but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life, that there was no way we could save ourselves. God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. It was a sacrificial death. It was substitutionary. You and I deserve to be on that tree. 
In the righteous judgment of God, we had all sinned and come short of God's righteousness and his demand for righteousness. And so there was no way and means that we could uh, provide recompense for our transgression. But the atoning blood of Jesus Christ satisfied that sin debt. And now God has breathed into our hearts the power of the Holy Spirit giving regeneration to our spirit. And I have eternal life dwelling on the inside of me right now. And what I mean by that is, is that we will all one day, unless we're alive at the return of Christ, we will all close our eyes in death. But we have a confidence that at the moment that we do, because the Spirit has joined with our spirit and declared us to be children of God, then we are immediately absent from the body, but we are immediately present in the presence of God. And that is the hope of the gospel, and that's the preaching of the cross. And Paul said to the Jew, the Jew's stumbling over it. He said, but to the Greek, it's just foolishness. But Paul said this, he said, but let me remind you about how God has dealt with man from the Genesis. God has often chosen foolish things, things that the mind, the wisdom of men, the wisdom of mankind looks at and says, that's foolish. But God said, I will take things that you deemed foolish to turn to naught your own wisdom. I began to think about some of the things that when I just kind of related in my own spirit as I was praying. I thought, God, there's some things that you can look at and say, it's foolish that God told a 99-year-old man that he would have a seed and he would have a son and that his descendants would be as the stars of the night sky. It was foolish when he told him because his wife's womb was dead and, bare, was dead and dried up and he himself was impotent. But how do you know that God could take the foolish things of this world? Right, it was foolishness. Listen, it was foolishness when you think about that God took a stuttering shepherd on the backside of the Midian desert who had ran from his past, ran from the people of God, and had hidden for 40 years in the wilderness or in the deserts, keeping not, own, not his own sheep, he didn't even have his own sheep, but his father-in-law's sheep, that God would cause a bush to burn that would not be consumed and God would call that man and say, I want you to go back and stand before the superpower, the leader of the superpower of your generation, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and don't, you don't ask for the people of God to go. You point your finger at him and you demand that they get released because I want them to come into the wilderness and worship me. That's foolishness for us to think about that when they were delivered, they were delivered how? By the power of a Passover lamb. I know the world can't think. How in the world when you think about so many things? And then when they were encroached upon by the Egyptian army in the Red Sea with the Red Sea in front of them and the army behind, and Moses stood there on a rock looking over the Red Sea, and he took the staff that was in his hand and just bent it over the water. And when he did, God sent a strong east wind. And the world says it's foolishness for us to believe that. But I don't know about you, but I still believe that the hand of God pushed the waters back on the left and pushed the waters back on the right. And two million men, women, boys, and girls came out of Egypt walking on the dried up seashore or the seabed by the power of Almighty God. And I could go on and on. You read about the narrative in the Word of God that God has always taken things that we say, we scratch our head and we say, how in the world? Because God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the mighty and the wise. Where you simply look at it and say, there is no rational explanation. Let me just go beyond that today. 
We live in a scientific generation over the last 300 years, and it continues to, to improve because of technology. Sometimes there is no scientific explanation for the things that God does. And sometimes it's all a matter of faith. Sometimes it's simply a matter of belief that says, you know what, I know that there are certain laws of science, laws of nature that are committed to living in this earth. But some of you know that sometimes God's supernatural power will super, say it slowly, supernatural, supersede the natural world, right? And we put our faith and our trust in that God. And to the world, it's foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it's the power of God. And I like what the writer here said. He said, note this. He said, when, when you're doing something that you're going to face ridicule for, when you're doing something that others in your own family or perhaps community or certainly in the culture in which we live, look at what you do or what you say or, we, or what you read or how you relate to an invisible God that you've never seen with your eye, you've never heard his audible voice with your ear, but that you worship him and they look at you and they say it's foolish. When you hear that, let me tell you today, there's a reason why. It's because God hath chosen. God chose this. God chose you to live by faith. God chose you to walk by faith. God chose to shroud himself in the heavens in eternity and us to live and move and function without the aid of sight to know and relate to God. God chose that. And we simply must trust in his sovereign wisdom. And it, God said in this passage, I love this, God said, I'll have chosen the weak things of the world to confound those things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things that are despised, God has chosen. He said, he said because I'm going to bring to naught the things that are, are. And the ultimate goal is that there would be no flesh to glory in God's sight, that God himself would get the glory in all things. And let me tell you, when you begin to relate to God on a deeper, more intimate, personal level, one of the things that you're going to have to deal with in your heart and in my heart is we have to deal with pride. We have to deal with this thing that's, uh, that, that could have been perhaps the fall of Lucifer sometime in the Genesis. And that is pride. And we have to say, God, I'm going to subject that pride. I'm going to mortify that pride so that I can know you more intimately. And I'm going to know you more intimately in the way that you have chosen to reveal yourself to me. No matter how that I think it's foolish, no matter how others perceive it, it matters not if God's chosen it. Now, let me go a little bit farther than that. I'm already preaching way better than y'all are shouting in my, old, in my old Hebrew Springs language here today. And so with this, let me just say, there are things in our walk of faith that just, you, again, let me say this. You, sometimes you struggle with a rational explanation. And therefore, you have to literally step out like Peter of old, out of the boat into the water, and just trust that the Christ and his power over the, over the movement of the water is going to hold not only him up, but it'll hold you up as well. You have to be that person that says, you know what, it may be foolish to you, but you know what, I'm putting all my faith in it. I'm putting my faith and my trust in God. So you say, Pastor, how is this? A message about the power of the work of the Holy Spirit that you told us yesterday. Because I, I want to take a moment of time and tell you and talk about something that I think is very important for the church and the culture of our church family. And, 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 and beyond that, in what God is doing and what he desires to do in our assembly, but maybe even beyond. 
And that is, it relates to the work of the Spirit of God in the church. It, worked, it relates to perhaps the most controversial subject of the Pentecostal movement that I'll get to in a moment and that I'm going to touch on here in just a moment. But let me go ahead and preface it with this. I thank God for uh, the education uh, that, that men and women can get through, through uh, I guess, through, through colleges and universities that will help aid their career. And did you know every week that I stand on this platform that I preach to a lot of folks in this room who have not only college degree, you know, bachelor's degrees, but then master's degrees. And did you know on any Sunday there's anywhere from two to four people at times that has doctorate degrees right here that, that, that come out. And I value and I'm thankful for the education that they have been given. But let me tell you something about the growing in the kingdom of God. You better be careful because that education sometimes can, can preclude you from receiving some things of God, prevent you, let me say that, that, that might hinder you because you're always looking for what they taught you in the university, a rationale. You're looking for a scientific explanation. And sometimes it's just born of faith. Sometimes you just hear it and you believe it. You know, Mary, when God said to Mary, Mary asked and she questioned for just a moment. Y'all go back to that text in the book of Luke. She questioned for a moment because the angel told her she would have a son. And her response was, I know not a man. I'm a spouse, but I'm not married as of yet. We have not known each other intimately. How shall these things be married? The spirit of the living God, the invisible presence of the almighty God is going to overshadow you. And there's going to be life conceived inside of you. But it's not going to come through the natural means. It's going to come by the supernatural means. And Mary could have said, well, wait a minute. I don't understand. Let me go. I've got to Google search this. I've got to find out. Has it happened before? Is there a type of precedence? Is there something that we look at? How medicinally, how scientifically can we get the sperm of something here into the egg and make that take place? No, you got to move all that out of the way and say, God said that it's going to happen. And Mary said, according to your word, according to, it's foolish. But you chose it. So I believe it, glory to God. And I'm telling you, they're going to come. Perhaps there will come a time in our walk of faith that our faith is going to be, that it's going to arrive at that precipice where you either believe God, you either in essence sink or swim. You either trust God that God's going to take this thing that's foolish and he's going to work it for his glory. So I want to talk, you say, what's the, so with that, with that, I want to see every person, whether you are highly educated or whether or not you, uh, you don't have very much education at all. I want to see you grow in your communion with God. That's my heart as a pastor to you. And I'm telling you, we have the gift of the Spirit of God. It's not bound to the Pentecostal church. It's bound to the church. We sang it in the song a moment ago. The Spirit was sent and the church was born. It's not bound to AG doctrine, church of God. The Spirit of God supersedes all the doctrines of men. But let me tell you what I know today, though, that is the most controversial subject related to the Pentecostal church and the work of the Spirit, and it is speaking in other tongues. It's been the most controversial, I don't want to say since the book of Acts, but since what we call the birth of the modern Pentecostal church well over 100 years ago today. It's the thing that creates, to a degree, a measure of our identity in our relationship or our communion with God. It is the thing that is most criticized by those that are outside of the fellowship. 
It's the thing often that is misunderstood by not only those that are outside of the fellowship, but many times by those who are inside the fellowship. I don't want to tie the power of the Holy Spirit exclusively to speaking in other tongues. I think that would be in error. But I also, at the same time, don't want to fail to recognize that God has chosen the foolish things to bring something to us, and we've got to stretch ourselves in faith. I'm afraid in our own heart of hearts, let me just say this real quickly. Things have shifted in the Pentecostal church. Pentecostal churches are not as, as radical as they once used to be. And perhaps in some measure, some of that could be possibly a good thing. Possibly. But on the flip side of that, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we're going to lose. We're going to, it's going to slip through our fingers in our, perhaps our motive is right. Perhaps our intent is correct. Maybe we're simply saying, well, it's kind of misunderstood. People that I invite to church, people that I try to tell about, they don't really know much about it. And so I'm kind of afraid that if they come, you know, I want them to be exposed to our church. We've got this really handsome pastor, and we, I want them to meet him and all of that. And so, uh, you know, so maybe, may, no, you know what, at the same, and I understand all of those things. But let me tell you, if we misplace this subject, if we misplace this work of the Spirit of God, let me tell you what can happen to us very quickly. We will quench the Spirit of God. And then even beyond, we, maybe it begins first not with quenching, but with grieving. We, with grieving the Spirit of God. Because let me tell you this, I didn't choose for God to manifest the power of His Spirit initially to the church through speaking in tongues. I didn't choose that, and neither did you. But let me go ahead and just get it settled in my heart and hopefully for years. But God chose it. And if we can just accept that, that's the first step to saying, okay, all right then. Then I need to get a little bit more comfortable. I need to get a little bit more comfortable with this doctrine. I need to get a little bit more established in my faith and my belief system. So that for two reasons. Number one, that it will stir me to pursue after the presence of God. Right, number one. And number two, not to necessarily defend it. I think about that. I know there are times we need to defend doctrine and things of that nature. But sometimes God doesn't ask us to defend him. Sometimes God just said, this is it right here. But in our communications with people, and we're talking with people, I do want to be able, perhaps not to defend, but to at least elaborate. At least to say, hey, I can have some measure of a theological talk with you in relation to the power of the Holy Spirit, especially through the context of speaking in other tongues. Is that fair today? I'm just being honest because you're saying, Pastor, listen, I want the work of the Spirit of God. I know, I do too. But if we misplace this, if we miss the baton here, we might continue to run. You can, you know, when they miss the baton, they don't have to stop running. They can run, but they won't be crowned, right? And so we can run. We can have all the motion. We can have the smoke and the fog. We can have the most contemporary worship uh, with, on the screens and all the things that the contemporary church does today. But if you don't have the true, authentic power of the presence of the Spirit of the living God among us, are y'all out there today? 
If we're not careful, we'll be a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. We'll be making a lot of noise. We'll be having a lot of movement, but we won't have any authentic work of God. Because an authentic work of God is born of the power of the Spirit of God. And so my challenge for you today is kind of twofold. Number one, my challenge is for those of you that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit or desiring of the Spirit of God in your life and He's worked in you, then continue to grow. Continue to seek. Continue to, you know what, to pray the prayer that Dr. Brassfield led us in last week. God, sanctify my life. Let me set aside this time and this work that you might work in me. And then not only you might work in me, you might work through me. And number two, for the rest of us here today, you simply say, God, I continue to seek after you. I continue to pray and to desire things in my heart and life. Not to measure myself up against someone else. Stop measuring yourself up against someone else. This is between you and God. This is between you and your communion and your fellowship. So I want to ask you for a moment of time. I want to just kind of turn over to 1 Corinthians for just a moment, chapter 14. And I'm going to kind of just bounce around in there for just a little bit to familiarize you just a little bit this morning with the work of the Holy Spirit and to also bring some clarity to some things that are related to the baptism, not necessarily the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but speaking in other tongues. I want to bring some clarity. And maybe everybody that needs this message is not here today. But you know what? That's the beauty of us having this social media right now. That's the beauty of this being captured because maybe you will have some time that you're talking with someone and you can say, listen, I want you to go to the, what's today's date, 319? 320. You can go to First Assembly of God to our Facebook page and there on 320 you'll find a message entitled God hath chosen and that person can sit and watch and listen. And maybe God, maybe the Lord will use that. How many know he can? That God could use that to help somebody. So I want to talk about this for just a little bit. And I want to just get some things in our spirit today to just be able to get this in our heart and mind. And, and I, I don't really have, I don't have sermon notes today. I just have a couple of, not even bullet points, just a couple things almost like don't forget to mention this. Don't forget to mention this. Because I want the spirit of God to just hover over what's shared here today. To help you. Come on now, are y'all out there? To understand that as uncomfortable as speaking in tongues might be to you, now when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit and you do speak in other tongues, there's a moment when it goes from being uncomfortable to being comfortable. All right? But when you're in the fellowship and you're not, maybe, maybe you don't pray in the Spirit as of yet, and I'm going to stress that as of as of yet, however, there's still a transition that has to take place where you go from it being kind of uncomfortable, right, to being, you know what, I'm okay with that. I'm okay that while I'm over here praying and I don't have a baptism in the spirit in the sense I don't have the prayer language as of yet and I'm worshiping God and somebody four seats down from me, I can hear them. They're not necessarily giving them what we call a message in tongues, but they're praying unto the Lord. They're maybe singing or worshiping in the spirit. And you know what? I'm not judging my experience against their experience. I'm not saying they're up here and I'm down here. I'm just, it's all about my own individual worship to God. But you know what? I'm not bothered by them. I'm not bothered by them. I'm comfortable being around. As a matter of fact, I, I learned to appreciate it. Right. Here's something that's very important. Learn to appreciate it, but learn to not become dependent on it. 
Right, because you can say, well, I like warming myself up next to the fire. Well, see, this fire needs to be in your own spirit. Come on, somebody. And I really believe the Scripture says, out of your own belly, God will flow rivers of living water. And so I have always taken the place as a pastor, and that is, is that I want to continue to grow and to, and to pursue and to encourage people, but I also don't want to leave anybody out that you find your place and your communion and your walk and your fellowship, that you're always in a constant state of saying, God, I just worship you. Let the Spirit of God have his liberty in my heart and life. I think that's fair. So we come to 1 Corinthians to talk about a subject for a moment of time. I didn't take you into the earlier verse there. I believe it's the sixth verse where Paul commends the Corinthian church for their zeal for spiritual gifts. He, matter of fact, simply said, he said, I use, he used those words, I commend you that you come behind and know spiritual gifts. And we'll be honest, he wouldn't write that to the churches of America today, including the Pentecostal churches. He would not commend us for our spiritual hunger for the power and the presence of the Spirit of God, but he would rather reprove us for our lack of it. So by the time, though, now remember this, not chapters and verses, Paul is writing this epistle He's dealing with a lot of issues in the Corinthian church. We've studied the book of Corinthians for years, and we preach from it quite often. When he arrives at the 12th chapter, when he begins to really talk about spiritual gifts. And so he defines for us nine spiritual gifts in the 12th chapter. He doesn't, here's the thing that Paul does. Paul defines, but he does, or, or, or Paul, uh, he lists, excuse me, but he does not elaborate on. He gives certain instructions related to, but he doesn't necessarily define what is this, what's a word of prophecy, what's a word of wisdom, what's a uh, word of knowledge. He doesn't give us the insight into what's this. So often that comes, excuse me, from studying Scripture and saying Scripture teaches Scripture and Scripture reveals Scripture. And so then we kind of we we hope to expand our knowledge. And then, then right in the middle there is the, what we call the love chapter, the agape chapter, the 13th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, where Paul concluded the 12th chapter with, which again, he's not concluding in chapters and verses. That's added later. But he said, desire after spiritual gifts, but I'll show you a more excellent way. And in, in essence, in doing so, he's bringing a balance to us a little bit. Our pursuit should be for the Spirit of God. Our pursuit should be for God to have liberty, but it has to all be balanced in love. It has to all be administered in love. It has, it has to be received in love. It has to be shared in love. Because he even said things like this, if you speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if you have faith to move the mountain, if you can prophesy when the end of the war in Ukraine and Russia is going to happen, and what it's going to look like in Eastern Europe after the war takes place. If you could prophesy and tell us what that's going to be like, but you don't have love. He said, then you're just a tinkling, you're, you're a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. It's what the, the new King James, or the King James says. But then he transitions there and picks it up in the 14th chapter and he begins to talk about spiritual gifts. He begins to talk about spiritual gifts because it's understood by the context that there were abuses in the Pentecostal church or in the church at Corinth. If you take the time to look it up and read it very carefully and look at the historical context, it seems that there was an overzealousness for what we call the ministry gift of speaking in other tongues. But here's the issue that many people stumble over, and I'm sharing this from a Pentecostal pastor's perspective. And I want to share this real quickly. There is a ministry gift of speaking in other tongues that needs the ministry gift of interpretation 
to be used to, to minister in the public assembly. Right? Now, there can still be what we call messages in tongues without interpretation because it's at that moment when it's not interpreted that the one that spoke in tongues as a ministry gift then recognizes an interpreter is not present. And so then Paul said, and that's later in the book, I think it's the 28th verse. I'm just going to leave my Bible open. And Lori's probably not going to be able to follow me because I'm going to be all over the place. She's got all of the verses there of the entire chapter. You've got to keep your Bible open. But that's where he said, if there is no interpreter present, then let him keep silent. Let him keep silent and speak to himself and to God in that moment. And silence in that moment doesn't mean that he couldn't continue to speak out, but he would keep it, it would be, it would be the volume, if you will, would be turned down. It would just be in more shifting towards his private devotion. So as Pentecostal pastors and such and theologians that believe in the ministry gifts of the Spirit, we do everything that we can to try to differentiate between what we call the ministry gift of tongues and what many have put a contemporary spin on, and we say the prayer language of the Spirit. All right, so there is, in essence, let me say this. This is the historical language of the Pentecostal church. is that the gift of tongues and praying in the Spirit are the same in essence, but they differ in usage. And you have got to get that in your spirit, or you're going to be confused the entire time. Paul writes about both in the context of 1 Corinthians 14. I'm going to show you in just a moment of time. But let me, what do you mean, Pastor? It's the same in essence, but it differs in usage. I started to bring a pair of scissors to the platform today. That's the analogy that I felt like that I could make an example with. So if I had a pair of scissors, it's like rock, paper, scissors right there. Is that scissors? Right, that's scissors. If I had scissors or shears in my hand, could I... Come to anybody here and give you a haircut today. If I had those here and I said, haircuts are free. I paid $20 for this fine look this week. Right? But with that, if I had shears in my hand, I could say it's free today. And I could say, is there anybody here who would like a haircut? And I could walk back and forth and say, all right, I've got it. I'm ready. And you said, nobody participated with me. No one. So then I could then slide over in the corner and take those same shears and cut my own hair. Correct? It's the same scissors, but the purpose has shifted. Because there was no one who was either willing or able to participate with me, I shifted it to my own person. And I could get in the mirror and chop my hair up. Now, in in essence, let me say this. The writer said, not the writer, but the theologians have told us, Pentecostal theologians, that the speaking in other tongues as a ministry gift and the private usage of it is the same, the same in essence, but it differs in purpose. The purpose of the ministry gift is to edify the body. Right, because it becomes, it's accompanied by interpretation. And once it's accompanied by interpretation, then it becomes the equivalent of prophecy. Right? And so prophecy, he said in 1 Corinthians 14 and 3, prophecy speaks unto men edification, exhortation, and comfort. I've taught this for many years. The gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues and interpretation is often a vehicle. It's a vehicle that other spiritual gifts travel in, such as the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge. 
or discerning of spirits. They will often travel in your vehicle. Seven people may have been in your vehicle like the Riggs family coming to church this morning. Our vehicle just had two. Sherry and I is all that was in our vehicle coming to church this morning. So somebody can often give a message in tongues. It's followed by interpretation, but it carries with it a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge or a discerning of spirit that's in that message of tongues. And it's designed by God to edify the body. Matter of fact, as he relates it out to prophecy in the text, real quickly, you can see it for just a moment of time. It says in the 24th verse, it says, If all prophesy, and there comes in one that... So again, tongues, the ministry gift, as well as interpretation, equates to prophecy. Here's what prophecy can do. Especially when it carries within it a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. If there comes in one that believes not, or he is unlearned, because of what God reveals through that prophetic word, he is convinced of all, which is convicted of all. He's judged of all. Look what happens. The secrets of his heart are made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God. Let me give you an example of that. It was powerful. How many of you, JoJo, showing the chosen to our youth on Wednesday night, not showing all of it, but teaching a series from it. And so there was one particular show that I saw there that really put me in, just it, it brought to light a passage that we're familiar with, but one of which is the widow or the woman at the well. Does anybody remember Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well? Jesus had sent his disciples to go and buy meat. To buy food, remember, he said, my meat is to do the will that sent me in to finish his work. And while the journey had produced fatigue in him, even the Son of God, he slips over to the well and sits down to, to rest. And a woman comes at an alone time by herself, which is uh, not true to culture. Typically, the women came for water, but that's telling us that maybe she's ostracized by the community of women because of her past. That's possible. And so Jesus then communicates with her. She is confused because he's communicating with her because he's a Jew and she's a Samaritan. Samaritans are, are interracial. And so Samaritans are part Jews and part those of Samaria. And so there's contention and division, Ukrainians and Russians and all kinds of things in that same context. And so she's surprised. Jesus is talking to her and, and he's ministering, speaking the word to her. And she's a little bit perplexed. She senses something in him. She knows there's something a little bit different, the things that he says and how he says them to her, just the fact that he's talking to her. But then Jesus said something to her. He said, woman, go and call thy husband. And her response to that was, most of you know, he said, I have no husband. He said, well, thou has rightly said. He said, because you have had five husbands, and the guy that you're shacked up with right now, he's not your husband. So what was that? That was a word of knowledge about her past and her present that traveled through. Though, it, you see, we, we often don't even look that and say, well, that's not prophecy because it wasn't, yea, thus saith the Lord. No, he prophetically bubbled up a word came out of his spirit. He spoke it to the woman. A word of knowledge was traveling in it. And when she heard that, she said, you're the Christ, glory to God. So that shows you the power. So speaking in tongues in a public setting when there's interpretation can minister to people. And at times, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom can travel in it. And when it's exercised properly, it can be beautiful. Right? The confusion was, though, is that there was an over-excessive usage of tongues in the Corinthian church. Because Paul then, let me go ahead. Are y'all out there today? I'm hope, I hope I'm helping you. I'm trying my best. You say, Pastor, why? 
Perhaps I'm doing this in response to, we had a moment last week in the altar where people were, Dr. Brassville urged us to pray, and there was a multitude in our church family that was praying in the Spirit simultaneously. And that alone can cause people to say, but wait a minute, I question that, and I'm going to bring clarity to that in a moment if you all allow me a little bit of time here today. But I'm telling you, if we're not careful, if we allow this thing that the world thinks is foolish, and even your own carnal mind, even your own carnal mind says foolish God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the mighty so let's be very careful let's be very careful because the moment that we lose it we lose the other benefits that it can bring to the body of Christ are y'all out there today so I think it's that important we've been praying people are praying for a fresh work of God and a revival I'm telling you this is where it could start. It can. That's where it started at on the day of Pentecost, right? It didn't start with the healing of the sick or the, the casting out of devils. It started with 120 men and women just saying, God, I'm waiting on you to move. I'm waiting on you. I'm setting myself apart. I'm waiting, oh God. I'm just tearing in your presence. Maybe that's what needs to happen again, right? And so one of the things that, let me go ahead and bring some clarity to what takes place here in this chapter. So you've got your Bible. If you've got the old-fashioned Word of God on parchment and leather and not just electronic, are y'all out there? That's not a, I'm not trying to diss, you know, electronic, but I'm telling you, I am saying sometimes you just need to hear a page turned. Sometimes you just need to be able to hold it right here. And sometimes you need to throw this as far as the east is from the west. Come on, somebody. Look at the sixth verse. It's really important to understand. I think the critical point to you getting familiar and comfortable with, the, with, with speaking in tongues in the fellowship. Now, let me tell you again. I started part of this when I turned to 1 Corinthians 14. I said, I don't believe all the work of the Spirit is related to speaking other tongues. There are many other things. Whether I speak it, whether uh, I pray for the Spirit of God to move in all different facets. There are differences of administrations of the gifts of the Spirit of God. We know that by the record of 1 Corinthians 12. But it is important that we recognize that God chose this. God, it's, it will always be. There's a part of it you will never be able to fully understand. And if you are looking for that, I'm telling you, you're going to be a constant state of disappointment. Can I say that? Because I don't mean that if I'm missing somebody out there, but if you are always looking for the exact rationale that you can give some type of explanation to either yourself or to someone else, you're going to be in a constant state of disappointment. There's going to come a moment that you have to just simply say, God hath chosen. God chose it. And if he chose it, I'll receive it. Are you out there? And I'm okay to be labeled whatever people are willing to label me and, to, and, and to, to exercise it. Now, at the same time, I'm still I'm going to be guarded because it's possible to become excessive one way or the other, and it's possible to fall into fleshly use or misuse of it, right? We've seen that. That's the reason for the parameters, right? If everybody could stay on their side of the road, you wouldn't need the white line and the yellow line. But everybody can't stay on the right side of the road. And so Paul gives parameters. 
Up until this time that you received this in here in the first Corinthians, by the, up until that time, God had been moving since the day of Pentecost. And the early church was empowered by the work of the Holy Spirit. And up until this time, there were no parameters. There was nothing that they could say, but the apostolic record says that if they were going to see a ministry gift of tongues, it is by two or three and let one interpret. Up until that time, it was just simply people were responding, and what happened is it developed over a period of time and excessive attention was given to speaking in other tongues is at the time of ministry. So let me clarify the time of ministry if I can. Look at the sixth verse with me if you would. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you? Except I shall speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, or by prophesying, or by doctrine. Take that verse. Now go on down again to the 26th verse. How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. He mentions spiritual gifts here. He mentions spiritual gifts previously. Paul here, the sixth verse, he said, If I come and I'm the one that God has given the moment to speak to the people, we know by the record of the book of Acts that the church often gathered and an individual after others exercised or prior to others exercising spiritual gifts, one individual spoke and ministered the word. We know that. We see that one or more than one spoke and ministered the word. But it seems by this record is that when the early church gathered, it was in smaller numbers to the degree that more than one person could participate at the time of instruction. Let me give you an example of this. Our Wednesday nights, I can't speak for the ladies because I haven't been among them, but the men in the smaller setting that we've been in, every week that we've been there, well, there's been anywhere, there's two weeks we've been there, we had 21 one week and 29 the other week, we've had at least 10 separate individuals raise their hand, get Barrett, who's moderating the meeting, his attention, and that person and then has been given an opportunity to speak. And when they spoke, they spoke by revelation or by knowledge, right? So there's a time, Paul said, there's a time of instruction. He said, and if I come to you at that time, when you are needing instruction and all I do is speak in other tongues, he said, then I'll be a barbarian to you. It won't, don't, it won't do you any good at that moment of time, he said, unless if I do speak a tongue at that moment, then i got to have an interpreter, not a translator, because it's different. He said, but I need an interpreter so that it can go from this language of the Spirit that it can then be interpreted what the Spirit is saying so that it can come to you in your known language so that you can receive it and then be edified. That's the continuation there that you read about in the remainder of 26th verse and beyond. Are y'all out there today? So there's a time of instruction. It's very important. There's a time of others giving opportunity. It shouldn't just be tongues. It could be prophecy. It could be a word of wisdom. I'm telling you, I told the ladies again, I'm telling you, the men, the men that are speaking, man, they're speaking by revelation. They're speaking by knowledge. They've studied, and it's edifying. And so Paul said, if all I do is come to you at that time speaking in other tongues, he said, he said, at that moment, he said, I'm a trumpet that's giving an uncertain sound. And he said, you won't know to prepare yourself for battle. Correct? 
But all the church setting is not just about the time of instruction. Sometimes it's about corporate worship. Sometimes it's about, do you, how many of you believe you can be public and private at the same time? Did you know this is a public gathering right here? There's about 150 people here today, right? It's a public gathering. But how many of you know that you can get into your own little space and you can have a cylinder here between you and God and you can become vertical in this moment and it's not here then, it's here then. And there's a difference, same in essence, different in purpose. So that's when we transition and we say that's not then. We typically, our language to separate the two, we say that we then are praying in the Spirit. Now let's go on down. Let's, can I give you a little bit longer? I know I won't take too much time, but I've got to do this. My heart is grieved if I don't. And I'm going to conclude in just a moment. But I want you to see this for just a second. I know I'm taking a long time. I'm pastor, preaching, teaching, all these things. But I just feel in my heart of hearts. I just feel in my heart of hearts that we need clarity and we need the right application to agitate us. To say, God, would you have your liberty among us? That you would stir up the Spirit of God. Stir up the Spirit of God. Are y'all out there? Stir up the Spirit of God. So I want to go a little bit farther about what we would call praying. Go on, drop on down to the, um, the 13th verse for a moment. The 12th verse. Let's back up to the 12th verse. He said, even so, you for, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual. The word gifts there in the King James is italicized, which means it is not present. So it wouldn't actually say you're zealous of spiritual gifts. You're zealous of spiritual, spiritual things. Seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. There should be something in us that wants to edify the church in a corporate moment. But there's also that moment in your own life when personal edification is very important. We live in a generation where we say, you got to take care of yourself. We watched Simone Biles in the Olympics withdraw from certain things because she felt like she needed to take care of herself. So there is a place for personal edification. As a matter of fact, I overlooked the second and the third verse there. The second verse, Paul said that if you speak in other tongues, you edify the church, right? If it's interpreted. He said, but if you're speaking other, or excuse me, if you prophesy, you edify the church. But if you speak in other tongues, he said, you edify yourself. Often we think, well, that's a bad thing. No, edifying yourself is a good thing. Not glorifying yourself, that's two different things. Glorifying, no flesh should glory in the sight of God. But edifying is building up yourself. I'm going to tell you that if we as those that are baptized in the Spirit and those that are desiring would pray more fervently in the power of the Spirit, we would go from being like this, Christians, we would go to, we would go walking in faith in the name of Jesus because our faith would be built up. And so, say, look, what, look, 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 let's go down a little bit farther. Same in essence, difference in usage. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret so we pray for interpretation both publicly and privately. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays. But my understanding is what? It's unfruitful. So what is the conclusion then? Private devotion. What will I do privately? I will. Don't forget the words I will. Right? I will. That means you set your heart and say, God, this is for me by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get out of the boat. I'm going to get out of the boat and stop walking on the water because God said I would. And if he said I would, I'm going to do it. Glory to God. 
I tell you, I think that's one of the first things to give you the courage to have a change in your life related to the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead of saying, oh, God, if it's your will for me to have it, no, say, God, it is your will for me to have it. I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray in the understanding. And then let me go ahead and take you a little bit farther to those that say, well, I don't have what you are saying is praying in the Spirit. I don't have that praying in other tongues as of yet. Well, then start with what you've got. Pray in your own native language. Pray fervently. Pray vocally. Pray, pray verbally. Pray, say, God, I want to confess your goodness. Man, the reason why God's not moving is because we're silent. God birthed the world when he opened his mouth. And he said, darkness be gone. Let light come. Glory to God. We're allowing the enemy to penetrate into our lives and, re and steal, kill, and to destroy because we're sitting back because the religion told us we should be passive and we should be pious and we should be quiet. That's what the devil wants you to do. But if you begin to open up your mouth full of the Holy Ghost and power, I'm telling you, change will come to you, to your family, and to our church family. Glory to God. And I know I get loud in a generation when preachers got skinny jeans on, everybody's trying to look cool, and I'm being old-fashioned here today, and the only difference was if I had a microphone like this, I'd tear the head off of it today. But I'm stirred up in my spirit because I want what God did in my life 30 years ago to happen to you as well when the Spirit of God changed my life. And He will yours, but nobody can do it for you. You've got to pursue God. You've got to pursue God. So i got a couple more things on close. And if I feel like I need to, I'll pick the subject up next week. Because obviously, it's a much more thorough subject. But I'm telling you, please hear me today. If this baton slips through our hands, we're going to keep running on the track, waving at the crowd. <laughs> but when it's time to stand on the podium, are y'all out there today? We'll be disqualified. We'll have movement, but we'll have no victory. We'll have movement. We'll have the movement, the structure, but we won't have the power, the power of the Spirit of God because God chooses the foolish things of the world. Sometimes you've got to move rationale out of the way. Look at that verse again right there. It says, what happens? My understanding is unfruitful. So when you pray in the Spirit, your mind does not understand. You're not thinking and in translation of your words. You're totally trusting that, listen to this, the God that knows all things. The 10th verse said that there are so many kinds of languages in this world, and none of them is without meaning. None of them. Did you know there are over 7,000 different dialects in the world? And how many of you know that when somebody, how many know, I can, I can sit at home and I can watch the news. And they can put the president of Ukraine on. And if they don't put a, a, an interpreter on, I have no idea what that brother's saying. Do y'all? Are you are being uh, right? He's a barbarian, King James Version, to me at that moment. But how many of you know that God, when he's saying, call, when he's asking people to pray. Let's think about the Ukrainian church. I read this morning, uh, just real quickly, that in Ukraine, one of the, th that it's a spiritual, but did you know, they've, they've started allowing the, the Bible to be passed out in the public school in Ukraine. God was moving in Ukraine. That's why the, the author of this article said that was, there's a spiritual battle there's, there, that's taking place. Let me tell you, when the Ukrainian people are bowing their knee 
and they're crying out for safety and protection, and their minds are confused, and they don't know. God is not in heaven saying, I don't understand what they're saying. I don't, uh, do, do I know Ukrainian? I need, an, I need a translator in here. Somebody come in. That's how foolish we have made this. God knows. He knows the yearning of the soul. He knows the cry of the heart. He knows when you get the word articulated and it's exactly the way it's printed in the dictionary. He also knows it when you get it all messed up in my language. He still gets that. He knows because he knows your heart. You're telling me, I'm telling you today about the God that said, before a word is formed on your, I already know it. Before a thought is formed in your mind, God said, I already know it. God said, I've seen you rising up and I've seen you down sitting. There's nothing I don't know about you. So you cannot tell me that God can't hear the cry of my spirit even when my mind is unfruitful to the things that I'm saying. To close the message today, is it fair what happened last week when Dr. Brassfield said, he said, everybody pray in the spirit if you can, if you can. Is it fair? Because there's that passage where Paul said, if everybody talks in tongues or speaks in tongues at the same time, it doesn't say at the same time. It just says it's all of you speaking tongues. And there comes in two things, an unlearned or an unbeliever. Well, we can't control the unbeliever, but we can control the unlearned. That's why I'm here today. If you're listening to this message, you won't be able to walk out of here and say, well, I'm unlearned about this subject anymore. At some level, you've got some level of knowledge. So we've got to continue to correct this. Paul concluded by saying, they will say you're mad. Well, okay. I want to debate that for a second to close. Number one, it won't be the first time. (laughs) And you'll stand in good company. Because in John chapter number 10, they said, he's mad. In Acts 26, King Agrippa said, Paul, or Festus, excuse me, Festus said, Paul, much learning doth make thee mad. So, okay, I can handle that criticism. I know that there's a negative connotation to it, so I've got to be careful to balance it. Why would, what was Paul saying in that moment? Is it fair for the church collectively, corporately, in that moment to have people in the cylinder? I believe it's fair. The reason is this. When Paul says, let it be by two or three, it's at the time of instruction. If I come to you, teaching, prophesying, revelation, knowledge, psalm, hymn, he said that, tongue, prophecy, two or three, let people share. But when it comes vertical, it's no longer horizontal. And in that moment of time, I've read too many passages in the scriptures. Acts 2, it was birthed with 120 who spoke in other tongues. All. It happened in Acts 8, Acts 10, and Acts 19. Paul himself laid hands on 12, and they all spoke with tongues. So the point that Paul, Paul is not trying to prevent, Paul is simply correcting. Does that make sense? Giving order so it doesn't get abused, and that it doesn't become all that we do. Now, 
The reality is there will always be people who are a little bit skeptic, skeptical, and uncomfortable by your verbal expression of worship to God because religion has taught them to be pious. Aaron, join me on the platform. And let me say this. While we want to be careful, I understand that. We're not trying. We don't want people walking out of here saying, those brothers and sisters are whacked out in their mind. <laughs> I've, I started to title my message, you can't be weirded out by speaking in other tongues. And I know that sometimes people can. But let me say this. If you're new to it, you could feel uncomfortable if it's just one person. Not much less the whole group. I, I can get a little bit uncomfortable at times if somebody pops up in the midst and gives a, you know, a, a, a prophecy that, that is edificate, but it can startle you. But the history of the Pentecostal church, going back to Acts, which is the history of Judaism, is there were agitations of the gifts of God. And God moved. God moved. God's chosen. I'm going to have to conclude next week. God chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I think it comes down to who do we want to be? Who do we want to be in the changing culture of the church? Who does first assembly of God? I know we can't go back. We can't go back and be the church of old. I mean, no, we can't. Everything's changed. You don't want to. God never meant for us to go back, right? But we don't vacate, and we don't fail to take the good to advance into our generation. But I can say this. I do want to be a people, whether or not Tongues and interpretation of tongues is something that happens every week in our assembly. I don't necessarily believe that that has to happen for us to be a spirit-filled assembly. I don't believe that. But I do believe for us to be a spirit-filled assembly, it's got to happen here. That we as individuals, that we simply begin to say, God, I want to just pray my understanding is unfruitful, but I'm going to just pray as the Spirit of God's put on my heart. Or whether I sing, whether I worship, I get vertical real quick. I believe if you get vertical real quick, you can agitate the waters and God can move. Sometimes the altar is here, but sometimes the altar is here. It's the whole assembly. And so, for clarity's sake, now remember, if you tell somebody to watch this message, I think I owe it to you to come back next week. And to bring it just a little bit deeper and to have a clear stopping point. Because I know I'm preached long and yet I'm still not finished. But if that's the case, that means that if I truly, as your pastor, have set my heart to say, God, what does our church need? What do we need? God said that you need to know that he chose this. God chose. God chose for you to ask, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. God chose for you to worship Him through expression at worship. God chose for you to communicate praise and prayer to Him in the language that you've learned since an infant. God chose that. But He also chose for you to worship Him 
and can minister to others at times too through a language that the Spirit releases in your spirit and you've become comfortable with it. Comfortable. God, this is it. You chose it. You chose it. I didn't choose it. The world thinks it's foolish. If this message were to be posted on CNN today or even Fox News, there would be ridicule all across the nation. Writers writing in, people telling us all kinds of things. You have to be willing to face ridicule to be spirit-filled. You better just get ready. You just have to. But I'm telling you, I think the danger is greater and the effect is more damaging to not be. I would rather, this is what I texted. I got my little group of people that I'm texting during the ball game. I told you, Sister Sherry, I said, it's really the old guys that usually text back right away. It's the young guys that they take a long time for whatever reason. I have Austin, Anthony, JoJo's kind of numbered in that group. He's in the middle somewhere with Jace. They're a little bit lower in that. Then I text uh, Uncle Billy Query and Billy Adams. And those brothers are right on me, right there. They're just like right there, bam. So I texted last night and say, you can play really well and still lose. Or you can play really bad and still win. And I'll take the win every time. Are y'all out there today? You're either going to have to face ridicule to have the gift of the Spirit of God really at work in your life. Or you can have no ridicule and not have the true unction of the Spirit upon you. Which is it going to be? I don't know about you. I'm willing to say God chose it. I didn't choose this. He chose it. So I'm going to embrace it. How are we going to conclude this service? How are we going to do it? Here's how we're going to do it. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Stand up with me if you would, please. Can y'all do a couple of things real quickly? I know it's, we're still, we're not, I know a priest a long time worship was a little shorter. It's 1151. I know that. It means service has been an hour and 45 minutes because I started later. I think that we should kind of follow suit with what Dr. Brassfield said last week. And just simply, if you can, just come for a moment of time and you're going to get real vertical right here. You're just going to get real vertical. And you say, Pastor, I, I don't want to come to the front. That's fine. I told you, I believe the whole sanctuary can be an altar. Do y'all believe that? I do believe that. But the church that fails to facilitate a work of the Holy Spirit is the church that's not going to receive a work of the Holy Spirit. If I want you to come to this house, I need to give you a chair and a parking space. Right? Or you're not coming. If we want God to move, we've got to facilitate this movement. We've got to say, God, we're willing. We're willing to face the ridicule because you chose to work among your people this way. Here's how I thought that we should conclude today. I'm just being honest. I know that I could go through and say, well, let's turn this into the old-fashioned where I come through and we're praying. No, I don't feel like that's where we should start. I want to go back to last week's message with Dr. Brassfield. Dr. Brassfield preached right at the end about sanctification, setting apart. Do you, do you think that you in your life right now that's so congested should have a moment where you start saying, God, I want to set apart some things in my life that I know I need to move out of the way so that I can be more vertical with you. 
whatever that looks like, whatever the benefit of that becomes. That's, that's where I'm going to start at today. I'm not going to start with me trying to pray for you or lay hands. I mean, I might pray for anybody today, but that's not the goal or the objective today. The objective is to say, God, there's some things in my life I need that, that, that are congesting the work of the Spirit in my heart. I got too much of the world in me. I need to, I need to download. I need to get rid of it. I, don't we have in the email, we got trash? There's some things spiritually we need to hit the trash button on and move it out of the way and allow God to say, God, I want to fresh. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you want to come to the front, come to the front. If you don't, stay right where you're at. But let's pray collectively for a few minutes. You pray privately. You pray in the cylinder. You pray to God. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in your understanding. Pray. Ask the Lord to cleanse you. I'll turn this. I'll pray with you right here. I'll pray out loud, audibly. I'll join my voice. I'll just simply add my voice to you right here, right now. God, to our fellowship, God, to our fellowship, to our fellowship, to our fellowship, God, we humble ourselves. We seek the Lord today, God. Father, where we've grieved you, we repent. Where we've quenched you, Father, we repent. God, we're a, where we've been a people that God had a past and a history, but very little present. And if we don't correct our present, we're never going to have a future. So, God, we, we do that today. And, God, today I believe that if, if we need to... I'm going to ask him to turn Aaron down just a little bit on, so I can just pray with the people for just a minute, for just a minute today. I just feel led to just pray. I've been preaching. I've been preaching, but I just feel led to add my prayer to you today, to add my prayer to my agreement, God. This is my heart to yours, to my heart as our church family. And Father God, I'm just praying today. We want the unction, a fresh revelation of the work of the Spirit of the living God among us in the name of Jesus. And God, I want to pray that all of us, God, will sanctify ourselves. We will set aside, lay aside, move out of the way things that we read, things that we watch, things that we listen to, things that we do, people that we hang out with, God. Anything, God, that grieves your spirit within our heart, God, today move us to a new season. God, of being set apart for the glory of God. Come on, church family. I feel the Lord on that. God, in the name of Jesus. God, we don't want the power of the Holy Spirit for show. God, this is not show and tell. God, this is simply we desire spiritual gifts. We desire a fresh anointing. We desire the agitation of the Holy Spirit within us today, God. God, I pray today, and it commences. God, it commences. It commences. I feel the Spirit today. I feel a, a holy work of God in our hearts. God, today, I, I confess how we've grieved your Spirit. I confess how that I've had misplaced priorities in my own life. God, so many things that I can justify. So many things that I can, that I can say it's good but it's not the best. So many things that I could say, oh, God, bless me in this rather than empower me to do this. So, God, today, I feel a burden of repentance, a burden of humility, a burden of brokenness, a burden that says, God, give us fresh hunger. 
Give us fresh hunger. Help us to, God, to become maybe, maybe a little bit more intentional in our pursuit after you. I think I'll add my under, the understanding to that next week, God. But, but I think to a degree we all know what that means, God. Private devotion. Times of dedication. Walks with God. Prayer closets. Corporate prayer. Group prayer. Every part of our life. The watermark. Every part of our life. Marked. Marked. God, you have chosen. You have chosen. Help us to be more comfortable. God, more comfortable to the work of the Spirit. That's, I think that's a fair prayer today, church. Help us as a people. As a pe- the, those that are uh, among us, God. Those that, God, that, that may be new to this, new to the work of the Spirit, God. Help them to, to say, you know, I, I, I don't understand everything about it, but, but I'm drawn to it. I'm not turned from it. I'm not thrust away by it. Rather, it draws me. It compels me. I I feel that in my spirit for the people today, God, as we pray collectively. We hunger and we thirst for you today, God, for an authentic work of the Spirit. Today, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray, meet the people. Come meet the people. Meet each one of us in the space that we created. Meet us in that moment, God. For there, the power of the Spirit is poured out. There, your Spirit falls upon us. <coughs> maybe it's at the altar. Maybe it's at the front of this church. Or maybe it's when we're alone at home and nobody's looking around. There's no distractions. We're just isolated with God. Help us not judge the strength of our church by just what takes place for 10 minutes after the preacher preaches. God, it's got to go beyond, far beyond, into our lives, into our homes, into our personal devotions. It's there that your spirit will move. It's there. Hallelujah today, God. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. Spirit of the living God. God, we stir up the gift of God among us. Who will? Who will today? Who will? In your own private for just a few minutes. I know it's noon. I know children need to be picked up. and I know all of those things. But who will for just a moment stir up the Spirit of God? Agitate the Spirit inside you. God, I humble myself. I'm going to turn my own microphone off for just a minute. For just a minute. 